from St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking. There's no question that the Missouri General Assembly had a productive 2021 as lawmakers gave final approval to issues that had been languishing for years. But not everybody is happy with the way things turned out, and legislators will be returning later this year for at least two special sessions. House Majority Leader Dean Plocker details the ups and downs of the past few months on the latest episode of Politically Speaking. So let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. We have to talk about things that matter to people. I've tried to bring that same aggressive iconoclast style with me to uh, the United States Senate. I think my district is a model for the state. We put Missourians first. You just kind of have to find the common ground with people. I believe that this district deserves someone who represents their values. After I came back to St. Louis, I started thinking that I could have a bigger role on the change that I wanted to make. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent Jason Rosenbaum. This is a big moment, folks. Joining us in studio, our first in-person guest since March 9th, 2020. Our guest is? Dean Plocker, state representative. Also the House Majority Floor Leader. Um, I, I think the last time you were on, you were just state representative Dean Plocker, not House Majority Leader Dean Plocker. So a lot has changed. Just remind our listeners like what the House Majority Leader does. We've had others on the show, but in case they haven't listened to those. Certainly. Well, Jason, it's great to be on. I understand this is your 500th show it online. Is, it is the 500th show with a guest, which as I was explaining to the representative on the on the elevator is a completely meaningless milestone because we went over 500 episodes two years ago, but I'm going to probably plan something special for this at some point in time. Well, I think, Jason, the longevity of your show is testament to uh, how good it is and how many people listen. So it's grateful to be on. I'm grateful to be on. And and being back for the first person in person that you, you told me about earlier is remarkable, too. And I think that speaks to some of the challenges that we faced. And as the majority floor leader, it's my responsibility to work through legislation that's been put on the calendar, to put it on the floor, uh, to work through the amendment process, and uh, try to pass some legislation that's, that's good for all of Missourians. So we're, we're going to spend part of the show talking about what did happen during the 2021 legislative session, probably the second half of the show about what's to come. I, I wrote a pretty lengthy piece after the session ended that there's no question that the legislature accomplished a lot of major initiatives. And there were some glaring things that they didn't accomplish that we're going to talk about later. But what would be some of the things that you would point to as successes or accomplishments over the last five months? Well, this this session was unique, as many are. But we started this session in January, of course, with uh, with the COVID problem. And we started off with a great deal of social distancing, cognizant of the fact that the disease is out there. And People can get sick, and, and certainly a lot of people can have some bad things happen to them. So we had great challenges, and the the, the process that we work in and the dem- democratic process through the legislative process is certainly a personal, intrapersonal relationship type thing where you're, you're meeting with people, you're discussing your bills, you're having your committee hearings. Committee hearings are vital to this process, in my opinion, in, in terms of how you, how you understand the bills and how you make them better um, in that whole game of things. Uh, that said, we, we had to deal with that. So 
as a team, 163 of us, we I think we worked really well through that process. We we were able to have our committee hearings. We're able to dissect the bills as they come and be, you know, as they're put on the calendar, and then bring them to the floor. So as that whole process evolved, I, I was very proud of what the House was able to accomplish because we were able to put the state of Missouri forced at the forefront of what we're trying to do and, and accomplish. And we did accomplish things that have taken years to get accomplished. Um, we did address uh, the Wayfair tax, which I thought, you know, finally Missouri was the last state and, in the and, union and to do that. just for our listeners who don't know what the Wayfair tax is, it's a tax on certain businesses that are primarily online retailers that do not have a physical presence in Missouri. Am I getting that correct, first of all? That's correct. So, uh, it, it, you know, all the other states have, have passed that because, you know, Amazon wasn't out there 15 years ago. And we had to respond to that to keep Missouri businesses competitive with national businesses that don't really have a presence in Missouri. And for me, it's important to protect Missouri businesses and keep them uh, employing Missourians. So we did that. We, we did pass the COVID liability. I think, too, if you look at what the House accomplished and recognizing the House is a, d- a distinct entity compared to the Senate, the House was able to get a lot of things across the line that unfortunately weren't put through the whole process to be put on the governor's desk, meaning that they failed somehow in the Senate. So we did do a lot of good things. They just haven't completed the process yet, which we hope to accomplish in, in the months and years to come. You know, one of the other notable things, I know you're a Republican, but it was noticeable to me that the House Democrats were actually able to get a lot of priorities past the finish line, too. Now, obviously, like they didn't get everything like Medicaid expansion didn't happen um, and, and other things, too. But it did seem like they were actually impactful in certain ways. Like, how, why, why did the Republicans decide not to just like crush them like in previous sessions. Basically. Well, I, I mean, I, I think that when I look at the 112, 114 members uh, of the majority party that I was elected to serve as the majority floor leader, they're not out there to, to slam home, um, you know, or, or put somebody down. Uh, they're there to actually promote Missouri as a whole. And the the priorities, if you would call them that, of maybe the minority caucus were much of the same priorities that we had. We passed we passed a lot of pro-family bills, um, adoptions, things like that. We passed a, a very conservative but budget responsible bill so that our grandchildren and children can live up to their expectations down the road. Um, we passed a lot of things that maybe were bipartisan in nature that the Republicans have long supported, that the Democrats supported too. And I, I don't think you cut your nose off to spite your face just because the opposing party says they're for it doesn't mean we need to be against it. We've been for a lot of those uh, pro-family bills a long time, adoptions and things like that. One of the other noticeable things that passed in the last week of session too was a gas tax increase. It'll be about 12.5 cents over five years. Um, and the notable thing was that um, it, it kind of divided your caucus. There were some people that wanted this to go to voters, including House uh, Assistant Majority Floor Leader Hannah Kelly. Here's her right now. And we can talk all day long about how this is going to be a drop in the bucket. And I respect, I respect the diverse views. Once again, this is not personal. This is business. I come from the business world, and today I ask you to join me in putting this amendment through and letting the people decide. Because how dare we decide for the 19-year-old girls that just bought their car? How dare we decide? How dare we decide for the business owners who are struggling to make it every day and build a future? 
So I, I've been following this issue for a long time, and there have been numerous failed efforts to try to drum up more money for transportation. Uh, why, why do you think that this was the, the plan that got through, and what do you think of the critics who feel like this should be going to voters? Well, uh, this bill was a very complex uh, bill in its, in its sense that of how it evolved and how it did get through the process. There was a lot of negotiation going on uh, with the Senate and the House uh, uh, that I wasn't particularly involved in on those lights. Uh, but, you know, I, I am for letting the voters decide. I, I, I think that the voters should have a, a say in how the government serves them. But I also believe one of the tenets of government is to provide infrastructure and the the basic foundation to allow all Missourians uh, to succeed. That would include our businesses. That would include our schools, uh, public safety. I also think that when you're elected, you have to make some tough decisions. And this was a very tough decision personally for me. I uh, It was... It, you know, some sell it as a tax. It is a tax, but at the same time, it's a user fee. And you know, our governor—I'm I'm, sorry—our um, our small businesses in the state of Missouri routinely were coming before us saying we have to have infrastructure to be able to serve Missourians. When that ambulance goes down the street, it it needs to have a safe method of travel to get to the to the end result to a to an end road where it's not been well maintained for the last couple of decades. Uh, the cost associated to that to Missouri's businesses, to, to our automobiles when you, you blow out a tire, a strut, whatever it may be, is, is very real. And if you're not going to maintain the roads, then why do you have them? Mm -hmm. And maintaining roads and infrastructure, again, is, I believe, one of the tenets of government. You have to be able to do that. You have to be able to do that in a responsible way. And responsible Missourians are going to be able to get the refund from their user fee if they save the receipts. Mm -hmm. And responsible Missourians are going to be able to say, hey, listen, we, we can grow our economy. We can do all this in collaboration while we build our infrastructure to keep Missouri competitive in the nation. Now, I alluded to Medicaid expansion earlier in the show, and that was one of the things that uh, the House Republicans and the Senate Democrats decided not to fund. It's currently the subject of a lawsuit right now. I don't know whether this lawsuit is, is ripe for review yet, or maybe there'll be a lawsuit after July 1st. But there's a there's a possibility the court may say you have to let people in the expansion population sign up for Medicaid. It, maybe you don't have to fund it, but that means that like hospitals wouldn't be reimbursed and you pretty much have no choice. Do you think that that could happen from the courts? And could you also sort of explain the thought of your colleagues about deciding not to fund Medicaid expansion after the constitutional amendment passed last year? Certainly interpreting how the courts would view uh, this. Yeah, again, I have to believe in the separation of powers. Um, I also believe, though, that it's up to the legislative process to allocate funding. And I believe allocating funding is part of the legislative process. That's why that budget begins in the, in the state house and, uh, and then goes through the Senate. It's up, to the, it's up to the legislative body to allocate funding and spend the money. And I think, as a whole, we have to be good fiscal stewards of how we're doing that. Um, my colleagues in the House, uh, and, and for that matter, I guess the Senate, were very good fiscal stewards in saying, hey, listen, um, we can't afford all of this. The, we, we, we have to figure out how we're going to spend the money. We can't pass so much debt and burden onto our children and grandchildren down the road. We have to be the people that make this hard decision and saying, okay, how are we going to fund it? We couldn't, not with the money that we have coming into Missouri. So with our with our taxes. So in terms of how we were going to able to say, hey, 
we want money to go here, 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 you have to decide where that money ultimately is going to come from if you're going to fund another program. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's a lot of reimbursement allow, uh, allowable with that, but where does that extra 10 or 20% come from? Does it come from education? Does it come from roads? And and that's what was put into play. Well, what we about a, the $1 billion that would be coming from the American Rescue Plan? Couldn't that be used for the state match for, I don't know, anywhere from three to 10 years while you figure out a direct funding source for it that doesn't take away money from general revenue? Well, everybody wants some of that billion dollars. Um, I perhaps think some of our infrastructure should get some of that billion dollars. I think roads and, you know, if, if they're going to pass a, a a bill that allows for uh, the gas tax to be increased, I think maybe some of that money should go to infrastructure as well. So everybody wants a piece of that billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And at some point, that billion dollars is going to be spent. Mm-hmm. And where it gets allocated is, is anybody's guess at this point. But you're, you're then promising to spend the money in perpetuity when you only have a finite amount of co- money coming in. And then we're saying we have to figure out where that money comes from. That means we're going to have to tax Missourians uh, for a program that you know, is difficult to fund for our children. Well, we'll probably be following that after the court makes their decision, which could come soon or it may not come for years. So that'll be an issue that we'll be following. I do want to talk about um, one thing that didn't end up passing, and that is the federal reimbursement allowance, also known as the FRA, medical provider tax. Basically, it's a, it's a very important tax that funds the state's Medicaid program. There were several senators that wanted to attach either restrictions on Medicaid funding for certain contraception are a ban on taxpayer dollars going to Planned Parenthood. And by the time the session ended, there was no FRA bill. And there's likely going to have to be a special session at some point. This is a clip from State Representative Jason Chipman. He's a Republican from Steelville who was on the podcast a week or two ago. And this is how he would like to see a potential special session go. Senator Rowden can bring the bill up, let Senator Whelan, Senator Honor, filibuster, stand there for as long as they can, stay in session until they're willing to sit down or they come to some compromise. Uh, they don't just get to hijack the session completely. Uh, we have ways. Th- these are the means. Here we're talking about again. There are the means to either come up with a compromise or get the FRA passed without Senator Whelan's amendment. It just takes some willingness on the part of Senate leadership to actually make it happen. By the way, Senator Whelan is Senator Paul Whelan, who wants the amendment uh, that would restrict funding from going to going to certain contraception. Senator Onder is Bob Onder, Senator Bob Onder, who wants the anti-Planned Parenthood amendment. I have read that Governor Parson does not want to call a special session until there is a deal on this. Have you heard the same thing? And how does the legislature get out of this thicket? That is, if they don't pass this, like the health care system could collapse in the state. Well, I, I don't know if our health care system absolutely collapses there. I know that there's a $1.8 billion for the FRA, though, that Missouri would welcome um, once we pass the FRA. But I have to commend the colleagues, my colleagues in the House, 163 of us, passed various versions of the FRA bill. In fact, I believe, if my memory serves me correct, we gave the Senate three different versions. It seemed like 300 different options it, in the it, last it, week. It, the House was very... Um, amicable to working with all sides. And um, and I think it would have been beneficial to Missouri to have passed that FRA as we did in the House to get it through the Senate on those final days. But time was of the essence and time is often the enemy the last few days. And 
I would agree with Representative Chipman from Crawford County that, you know, sometimes you just have to throw down and say, all right, gentlemen, talk about it over in the Senate. You guys go at it over there. But time was of the essence. Uh, they could have filibustered and they would have run out of time anyway. The Senate uh, ended the session on an u- unusual note as it was. Uh, whether the governor chooses to call a special session, of course, is up to him. And I think he's in a difficult spot in that light. He's asked for special sessions in the past that have, haven't perhaps gone as the way that were envisioned. Um, saying that we, uh, the House or the Senate, would come to some sort of uh, resolution prior to going into a special session is is difficult when, in fact, um, that the House has already passed an FRA bill. Right. I think we can. It's up to the Senate. It, this is entirely up to the, how the Senate wishes to conduct its business for the benefit of Missouri. Yeah, and actually, beyond, I know what you're talking about. He called a special session on violent crime last year, and several of the things he wanted didn't get passed. But he was a senator in 2011 during the least successful special session in history, the Aerotropolis special session, where they thought that they had a deal about passing this tax credit to try to get the China hub to come to Lambert, as well as to clamp down on some tax credits, which totally fell apart in spectacular fashion. So I think he has a long memory. I don't think he wants that to happen. I think he wants a deal beforehand, which actually makes a lot of sense. But this isn't really an optional thing, as I mentioned before. Do you think that something can get done on this issue before this tax expires? Well, I would think that that between the two senators that the representative spoke of can hopefully come to terms in the next couple of months. The Senate as a whole can come to terms. I believe the Senate leadership today, in conjunction with many of the senators, is meeting to discuss those challenges with the FRA, and that, that goes on this, this Tuesday. Now, it's only early June. Um, the FRA, I believe, expires September the 28th on or about. So we have a special session in September as predicated by the Constitution. Veto session. Veto session, I'm sorry. Um, so you have the veto session that's going to be in there no matter what. So it's, it's quite possible that we could run a special session concurrent with the veto session uh, to accomplish this in early September without without ruffling anybody's feathers if cooler heads can prevail on how we can pass an FRA. Before we go to break, there is going to be at least one special session on congressional redistricting. And I I would love to go through the the weeds with you on that, but I, I don't think it's very useful at this point because A, we don't have the numbers, and B, saying what's going to happen in June for a special session that may happen in November is perilous. But can you give kind of an indication on like how you think that will go in the sense that it could be the only thing in a special session and it could provide less leverage for people that want to tinker with the map, so to speak? Well, I guess every time, every 10 years, the decennial census is always challenging. And it's always the what ifs, if this happens, if this happens. And that's the unknown that we're living in right now. The numbers from the census aren't going to be coming into Missouri, I don't believe, until August, September. Uh, And those are the numbers we're going to have to work with. But we have some preliminary data that shows that the first congressional district of Missouri's eight has lost perhaps 100,000 voters. Uh, residents. 100,000 residents. residents. I'm sorry, residents. Wow. I did not know that. I um, thought it was closer to like 40 or 50 or something. I've heard numbers all across the world. So, you know, those are the numbers that we're working with. Whether it's 40 or 100, it's the unknown. Um, and how do you backfill that? So where do those numbers come from for the first congressional? Because you have to have equally proportional districts. And then you build off of uh, the, the state census as a whole, total population, divide that by 163, and that's your mean for state representatives. Mm-hmm. So then you have, to, you have to backfill those rep districts that lost members, uh, residents, and uh, citizens. And um, you have to then 
yeah, yeah, the, the lines are so ambiguous at this point. The the what ifs abound, and I, I believe that when you have that kind of ambiguity, many are going to be nervous about where this goes. But there's nothing that can be done until we actually get right. the hard numbers. We'll be talking more about redistricting later in the year. We'll be right back with House Majority Leader Dean Plocker. And we're back on Politically Speaking with House Majority Leader Dean Plocker. He is a Republican from De Pere. Am I getting that city right? That's correct. I want to make sure that I get the comma R slash city name correct. Um, I want to talk about a couple of aspirational special sessions that have been called for beyond just the FRA and congressional redistricting. The first one is on elections. Uh, Interestingly, the House actually had what I consider... A a deal that not everybody was happy with, but one that seemed like it was on the trajectory to pass that would have revived Missouri's government issue photo ID requirement that essentially was rendered inoperable by a court decision and also allowed for about three weeks of no excuse uh, in-person absentee voting. As, As many people know on this show, Missouri has an absentee system where you have to put down a defined excuse. A lot of election officials, both Republican and Democrat, have said that that system is bad for many reasons. But it seemed like when it got to the Senate, it went nowhere. There was the effort to try to get a runoff system that the House clearly didn't want to do. And now we have both uh, uh, Representative Dan Shaw, who's the House Elections Committee chairman, and Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft winning a special session on elections. What What's your thought about that? Well, I certainly think election reform needs to be had. And um, again, looking at my colleagues in the House, uh, 112 of us Republicans, along with 163 as a whole, came up with a solution, I believe. We passed a pretty good elections bill that perhaps wasn't perfect in anybody's eye, but we came to a to an agreement. Um, it was passed through the House and sent to the Senate. Again, it got held up in the Senate for whatever reason. Um, I think we can continue to do this. Um, we'll hopefully do it again next year. But I don't believe... That um, while I, you know, Secretary Ashcroft is, I believe, you know, prudent in calling for something that he fervently believes in, um, as do I, and uh, Representative Shaw, who's down in Jefferson County, not too far from here, is is doing the right thing by saying we need some election reform. I think if you if you stack up their call for the special on the election reform, you and I know we're going to talk perhaps about some other recalls mm-hmm, for specials. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just got done talking about the FRA and that need for a special, potentially the need for a special on redistricting. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're stacking so much off uh, on top of each other, then uh, you're asking, what do I prioritize? And I don't know if election reform in that light uh, stacks up to be at the top of the list when you have redistricting that has to be done by the Constitution. And we have an FRA bill that needs to be passed for the benefit of all Missourians and the reimbursement of $1.8 billion, which is no small chunk, chunk of change for our budget. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, when, when you look at the bigger picture, uh, you have to prioritize. Yeah, and, and I, I understand that. I, I, also, I also think Senate Majority Leader Kayla Browden was like, yeah, we can do all of this in 2022. I think the danger, though, is if you come up with things that are so radically different. Like, let's just say I don't think the I I, I don't think the runoff idea is going to make it. I think there's a lot of opposition in the House on that. But let's just say there's some sort of agreement where the runoff happens and it's passed at May 2022, and suddenly there's a runoff two months after that, or if there's some big change with photo ID, and the election officials don't have a lot of time to deal with all of that, wouldn't that cause a lot of confusion, whereas if you did it in a special session, people would have a year plus runoff 
to that sort of thing. Well, I, I'm, you know, again, we passed a, a, what I believe was a, a pretty good bill through the House this year. Mm-hmm. Um, we can do it again. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe the votes are there if a special session were to be called. That's the House component. Yeah. But we're dealing with the unknown, the entity, the Senate, the discord that seemingly exists from, from time to time that it has existed with the FRA component. Uh, so we're open to working with both sides of the aisle. We're open to working with the Senate and the governor. And I, I believe Missouri does need some sort of revision for election reform. And I, I'm game for that. Whether or not it could actually be put into play in a special, though, is going to be rather difficult. Also up to the governor. Also, the other thing that I've noticed that we haven't talked about much on the show is eminent domain regulations, which have all to do with this Greenbelt Express like power line system that's going through Missouri. I'll be honest with you and our listeners, this is not an issue that I have spent a lot of time reporting on, but I know that this has been a big priority for a lot of House members, and so much so they want a special session on it. But given what you said about election-related items, it seems unlikely that you're going to do a special session on this. Is that fair to say? I believe it is. Sadly, I think this is a little bit more in the weeds, and, and people as a whole aren't as familiar with this issue as um, it affects all Missourians, and I believe it certainly affects our personal property rights. Um, I believe eminent domain is is aptly used when it benefits Missourians and as as a whole. However, uh, the Grain Belt was a high energy power line that that brings power from states west of Missouri, and by and large is intended to disseminate that power to be sold to states east of Missouri. So uh, they used eminent domain uh, to to acquire land to put these power lines over farmers' property that has, you know, I believe a disparaging effect on the view and the use of the property. And I think that's the heart of how government um, should not be acting, actually, when it comes to taking the property. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's an important issue for protecting individual property rights. And um, and it affects a lot of Missourians, but it's a little bit more in the weeds. And again, given the challenges that we face in the state, I don't know how that will percolate to the top to be able to have a special session. When we've also passed that bill mm-hmm. now, I believe, two or three years in a row. Yeah, and the fact that it hasn't passed the Senate signals to me that people have the complete opposite view, that they think that this is a worthwhile project that should be completed, and they don't really want to use the legislature to scuttle it. And it seems like those are two very different views on this that are not really compromisable, basically. My understanding uh, is that it's it's perhaps not that the, the government should use this power to get – to allow eminent domain to go through. I think there's a consensus mm-hmm. perhaps that in the future – uh, government shouldn't use eminent domain to help states further uh, mm-hmm. buy cheap power. It's how you can retroactively apply, apply mm-hmm. the law in this particular case. So bringing this bill forward would be a retroactive component to stop something that's been uh, somewhat authorized uh, through the PSC. Mm-hmm. Now, um, in this particular component, the PSC ultimately is going to wind up um, abdicating from authority in this, and it's going to go to the Federal Regulatory Energy Commission. PSC, by the way, is the Public Service Commission, which uh, regulates utilities in Missouri, by the way. Continue. Um, Yes. So um, I I guess it's how this bill could be retroactively applied, I believe, which is some of the consternation in the Senate. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and again, um, sometimes, uh, you know, time is of the enemy here. The time is an enemy here. And when, when something like this percolates up, 
other things have somehow been bumped in front of it. Mm -hmm. This may be another casualty of what needs to be done or what we want done um, when it comes to a special session. Well, the one other thing that was recently called for as far as special session is legislation that would try to punish or prevent cities from quote unquote defunding the police. And I want to be specific about what I'm talking about here. That is lowering the budgets of a police department and allocating it toward like social service programs. Um, the interesting thing is I was at this press conference with uh, Representative Nick Schroer and a number of your Republican colleagues. He even said that he's not really sure like what he actually wants to do. He pointed to the fact that Texas passed a bill that would like potentially take away or cap property taxes of cities that do this. but. I think that this is an idea that may get traction next year, but it doesn't seem like there's like a definitive plan about what Republicans want to do to combat what's happening in, say, St. Louis or to some extent Kansas City. This doesn't really seem like this idea has been formulated enough to do a special session yet. Is that is that fair to say? Well, I think there's a lot of things floating around right now, and I think that the reaction that that many of these cities has had have had as a result of the things that are going on um, have also been reactionary and perhaps haven't been thought through. Because I, for one, will certainly stand with the police. Um, I certainly want to advocate for the for those in blue that serve every day that are willing to give their lives up to to protect my family and the the citizens of Missouri, along with our businesses and. Every day they stand in harm's way, and when you when you hear defund the police, it implies that you're so, somehow pulling the rug out from underneath them, and I will not tolerate that. I, I, I think that's abysmal to do to those that are standing up and protecting our civil liberties and our rights and our freedoms. Um, so I, I would agree that how this needs to be implemented or could be implemented has a lot of ambiguity that needs to be worked out on both sides. I would like to see a collaborative approach because I am too concerned with the growth in crime, mm -hmm. particularly in this metropolitan area and, and others in Missouri. Um, it, it's, 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 it's bad for Missouri, it's bad for us individually, mm -hmm. and it's bad for us as a region when we're trying to compete um, nationally with bringing in businesses. Now, the situation in Kansas City, I think, is different than in St. Louis. That is much more of a power battle between the state-appointed police board and the Kansas City mayor. I'll let KCUR handle that issue because that is a Kansas City-centric issue. I think that the issue in St. Louis, though, is people like Mayor Tashara Jones and others have said, we have pumped huge amounts of money into the police over the last few years and decades, including pretty recently with half-cent sales tax increases in the city and county that were marketed for public safety. Even though not all of the sales tax went to police, a lot of it did. And it doesn't really seem like that's a great argument that throwing more money at police leads to less crime. Like, how? what would you say to that? Well, I, I, I'm one that believes that throwing money at anything doesn't necessarily solve the problem. Uh, look at schools. Um, our, you know, how we fund schools doesn't necessarily equate to a, a greater successful student or, or school district when you spend the same amount of money in, uh, across many of our school districts on a student. Um, you know, as far, our, as far as our police go, I would agree that our, we need to offer a competitive salary. You get what you pay for to a degree. And, and when you're asked to put your life on the line um, for the city of St. Louis compared to a municipality in West County, uh, you, you got to balance that. You got to balance your risk and your reward, and it's a it's a market economy. I mean, you can choose where to go. 
um, the budget um, in St. Louis is is challenging, and um, the the police pension is also challenging. Where that goes twenty years from now, how that is funded, um, you know. But throwing money at a problem isn't really the answer. I think you have to have a global approach on how you, how we're going to fix St. Louis. We need to have a better collaborative approach from St. Louis County, St. Louis City on mm -hmm. the crime issue, mm -hmm. um, on education. And as a region, we are the, the largest you know, contributor to the state of Missouri. And it's frustrating to see uh, time and again, the region have these challenges that, in my opinion, are you know, bounced around and not thoughtfully addressed. Yeah, not to harp on the sales tax issue, because I know you're a state legislator, but I mean, when these were being marketed to people, including by then County Executive Steve Stanger, who I know is a divisive figure who went to jail and doesn't have a lot of credibility, he was talking about how it was going to be transformative for public safety and how we absolutely needed to do this to fix crime in the region. And then the city followed along with it. And it seems like that was just patently false advertising. Should that be a cautionary tale to not just listen to messaging and actually maybe think through the public policy implications of a tax increase like that in the future? Well, I think political advertising sometimes is misleading, right? They want to promise everything with a little bit of money and deliver little. Um, you know, it, it, the, the end result is that our, our crime has gone up. So the end result, if you equate it to the tax alone, it, the tax alone did not solve that problem. But I don't think crime alone is attributable just to taxation. I believe it's attributable to certain, certainly generational pro poverty that exists in the region. I think it equates to education. I believe it equates to accountability in parenting. Um, so there's a, a multifaceted components here that that are creating the situation that this region is in. And I think there needs to be more looked at than than just the defunding of the police. We, we need to stand by our police. Uh, we need to stand by um, the risk that the men and women in blue put themselves in all the time. Um, at the same time, I think we need to look deeper into the issue and hold people accountable for what they're doing when they're committing crimes, if they're not going to school or what how they're parenting, and saying, hey, listen, we need to build this area up we need to, to work to prepare our, our children for tomorrow rather than worry whether they're going to get shot at today. In our last few minutes that we have, uh, you are going to be running for House Speaker. And is that decision going to be made later this year? Because customarily, Republicans choose their next speaker the year before an election. So are you, are you all going to caucus like after veto session and decide that, by the way? Well, that is correct. So during veto session, the, the body of the Republican caucus will decide um, and take a vote on the next speaker. And I hope to be that person. I intend to, to work very hard um, to help all our caucus and all of Missourians drive legislation that is caucus driven, that is driven by the body as a whole um, that moves Missouri forward. It's time that we, we have a lot to be done. A lot needs to be done. We I thought we accomplished a lot this year, but a lot more needs to be done. We made the most of a bad situation, and we, we have challenges ahead, though, that need to be addressed. And we have to have a collaborative approach in doing this. And I think the, the 112 Republicans that I'm fortunate to represent as their floor leader, as the floor leader for 163, I'm grateful to have the team that we have in place. We have a lot of different ideas and different thoughts that challenge us every day to, to bring better legislation to the floor to help all Missourians. Thank you very much. And we'll hopefully have you back uh, after that decision is made, uh, regardless of the outcome. For all of our stories, stlpr.org. Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is part of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. 
Are you on Twitter or any other parts of the World Wide Web? I am. I'm not very active, but uh, but it's uh, Dean Plocker my, is, uh, is my name, my at Dean Plocker, I believe, on Twitter. Uh, and I have a Facebook page as well. Um, I think it's the same, but I'd have to look it up. I'm not very strong on that. So long. Hi, everybody. It's Jason again. Before we go, St. Louis Public Radio is looking into racially restrictive covenants and deeds in the St. Louis region. In the early to mid-1900s, white homeowners and realtors commonly used these tools to keep black people out of certain neighborhoods. If you live in an old home, check your records. They might have clues that could help inform our reporting. Look through your real estate documents for restrictions on who can own it and live there. You can find more information on how to share those documents and your stories with us on our website, stlpr.org slash housing discrimination. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking.